So you're making the investment into your marketing content. That podcast is going out each week, Twitter's running hot, and you're writing detailed articles on Medium pretty frequently. But how do you grow your audience? Are you spending too much time uploading and editing and not enough time on the actual production? And is your content really providing value where there's both demand and a lack of existing solutions? My name is Jared Doyle, and this is The Fractal Podcast where I interview marketing experts from around the world to help your startup drive its business forward. Hi, and welcome to this episode. This week, we're going to really be looking at what it is to take your publishing to the next level, grow your audience, be innovative, and do something that once you've decided you're publishing and you're really putting the time in to grow your audience. And to help us on that journey, we are joined by Vahe Arabian, who is the founder of State of Digital Publishing, which is at the very forefront of new media and digital publishing. Vahe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing us on your podcast. How are you, Gerard? I'm I'm very well, and I'm excited because as somebody who spends quite a bit of time trying to write something that I think is going to get people's attention and it's going to grow my audience, and obviously here we are on a podcast trying to grow our audience. And, you know, we're producing content, but we want to reach as many people as possible. I'm excited for myself to learn how we can do this better. And hopefully all the founders of startups who are listening and are doing the same thing as me and producing content are going to be excited to find out ways they can grow that audience and and innovations that are happening out there in the world that they can use. So I guess let's get straight into what I think is the most exciting part. And let's start talking about how we can do you know write better content use better content different tactics to grow that audience so that our podcast gets a bigger listener base our blog gets more followers our twitter gets more followers where do we start with that by like what's the best place for you to sort of get my get the listeners of this podcast going in the right direction absolutely so my background's in seo so like everything that i look at is from a principles from search so whatever can be searched can be found essentially so the main thing we need to start off with is is really understanding what your audience looks at and and you need to do keyword research and really understand what the search landscape looks like and really look at the competitors and and everything else around that i'll, I'll go through later in terms of how to build up the content but there's a framework i want to get straight into this part but if if you really want to break through and really get to your audience you know there's there's an abundance of content out there so if you want to really break through there's a framework that claire austin as a timely factor this morning, as of this time of recording, she's released. So take this exercise. So look at what your audience wants or needs. Then look at the topics you think you're good at and think, look at where the gaps are. And then between them three, then you can really flesh out and, and really start producing content from there. So once you start from a small, you, the big, the common misconception as well is that people start broad on broad topics and try to really go for the big heavy hitting topics. And because you assume that that's going to be, you might try to rank for that or you try to get, potentially try to get reach for that, you might get that audience. But you have to really start small, really go into the rhythm, and then you go towards the bigger topics. And that's what's going to help you really break through. So uh, let me give you an example. So for example, for my, from my end, because I cover new media and, and digital publishing, where I found a lot of media publishers, when I've understood the audience after doing some research, I understood that a lot of people still have a lot of questions around SEO because because SEO in 
publishing is a big, it's a beast in itself and it's different to what small businesses do. I realize that there's a lot of things around Google News, for example, or it might be how to use tagging, which is a lot of common things that people are looking for and answers for. So I have to start off and writing topics around that. It's very narrow. You might not get a lot of searches around it, but it's something that, you know, you might send to one or two, three people. Then that's going to, you know, you get positive feedback from that. And then you start continuing to grow broader and then you start going to broader. And then eventually you grow your authority. And once you have your authority and once you are connected with your audience, then there's an opportunity to tap in more into those bigger pieces like the trending stories and, and all that type of stuff. And because you have the authority behind you, that's when you're going to start really getting that mass audience. I really like that. And it's been a recurring theme through most of the people I've spoken to when it comes to if it paid search or SEO or social, whatever it happens to be, is this idea that you want a niche market. You know, you want to be the winner of a small market because, yep. you know, third place doesn't really cut it. So, you know, going back through that framework, it's understanding your, your customers and what problems they're facing and what their needs are, understanding what you can add to those, yep. and then finding that one little spot that gap in the market where the competitors and people who maybe are placing the same space as you haven't given an answer or maybe a good answer, and that's what you target. And even if, as you said, even if that's only two or three people, the fact is if those two or three people get a great experience, that's a baseline. That's the foundations for you to start to grow an audience from. Yep, that's absolutely. And then on top of that, it's how you build out your content, which makes it effective for you to rank or to be seen. So you need to understand as well from there, what are the common for that topic? What does the content format look like? How do people actually read that? So for example, a lot of like media publishers that I've seen is they even like how BuzzFeed started initially was they started through list posts because they understood the audience as people who are time poor, people who like have that clickbaity behavior in terms of looking at something that's engaging, but for a short period of time. So they started with their list posts and they got their audience, they got that viral audience, shared it through social media, got that validation. And now they're at the point where they're diversified into various different models, like creating their own store or actually going to and competing against the likes of New York Times in, in news. So everyone has to start from somewhere. And they, they, they identified that list post is what their audience wants. It's interesting because I think about BuzzFeed and I think about Huffington Post, both of which were accused, you know, Huffington Post was accused of repurposing and writing better titles for existing content. And as you said, BuzzFeed was sort of all about just listicles and really simple stuff. But once they captured that audience, they were able to expand and actually they, they earned themselves the soapbox that allowed them to then go into arguably what they wanted to do originally. But rather than try to launch into investigative journalism, they kind of, they built an audience first and then from that platform were able to expand. And I guess that's your advice to founders is find a niche, get really good at that niche, earn that soapbox. And then from that position, you can expand, maybe not too far, but you can, you know, you need to get that foundation in place. And I love the way you're talking about it there in terms of using SEO as, or, or keyword research as a way to, to research. Because I mean, the essence of that is if people are searching for something, there's a need. And so it's much easier to satisfy a need than to try to satisfy something that people don't know they've got a problem with yet. That, that's much harder. Exactly. And a lot of people might look at, like what I've seen as well is people might look at the social media trends or like they use social media monitoring. They see that this post might have gotten a lot of likes, but then they try to replicate that and they see that, oh, I haven't seen the same response or reactiveness as that other post has. Well, there's a lot of things behind that. That's because they have that brand. Potentially, they have, they're at the right place at the right time for their audience. And a lot of that people are actually rented audiences like those platforms are the platforms. So you're not really capturing anyone new or you, 
exciting anyone. So I've seen that common misconception in when someone develops content strategy, really trying to use social data as a primary thing. And I think you have to really look, go back and look at keyword research and just look at fundamentals of organic search on SEO to, to build up your audience and, and the content strategy you want to flesh out. Great. And, and when it comes to keyword research, I mean, obviously we can jump into AdWords and that's a tool and that's going straight to the heart. But are there other tools that you, you like to use when you're trying to find gaps in the market for keyword research? Yeah, definitely. My main one is Ahrefs, just because it has a lot of clickstream data integrated with, with the Google keyword data that they have with the integration. You want to pick up a lot of questions, particularly for those who are starting out new, those founders. So that Ahrefs has a lot of question-related keyword research. And there's also Suvu, but now it's owned by Neil Patel, and he offers a lot of his keyword research tools also pretty useful as well. So I think between those three, you've got enough data to really work with. Yeah, I've got a subscription to Ahrefs and I love Neil Patel's work. He he has this brilliant ability to explain complex matters simply and just going to get down to the crux of what you need to do to make something happen. So if for no other reason, once you start engaging with his products, you tend to follow his videos and his posts. And, they, and they're always, he's just, he's just a good person. If you're looking at marketing online, he's just a good person to follow. So I think two really good solid tips there. I think as well, like with Neil Patel, and it's, it's something that as, as well that founders should also realize is, is you need to put that effort in it. So you don't understand, like it's not Neil Patel just publishing person. He's he's the one that is uh, magically making everything look good. He's got a team behind him. He's got a, a lot of money invested into the publishing his brand and putting himself out there. So you have to be ready to put yourself out there and invest in, in the content to make it work as well. That's interesting. So is that is that something you recommend to people as as they get to a certain point? I mean, at what point in your self-publishing journey do you need to start enlisting support so that you can focus on the, the core aspects and not on the doing? I would look at it the other way around. So you have to put, like, I want to get to this point and then go backwards and say, what do I have to do to get to this point? So, and then you have to then look at, okay, if it's if I want to be at the stage, for example, where Neil Patel is, then I need to look at this, trying to really rank or really get reach for these topics. So that means I need to really get these resources because it requires this much time. So you have to really go backwards and assess what your goals, uh, do reverse engineering on your goals to make that happen. Yeah, and I've, ha- I've had a chat with a few different people who I'm starting to discover more and more people have, as you said, teams. And yes, okay, we can look at a Gary V, or we can look at these kind of people that have huge profiles, but I'm discovering more and more that people are outsourcing and creating little teams that can create images, do snippets, do quotes, and do that kind of work for them. So what you're saying here is if, if your ambition is to be an authority in a particular area, and the only way to get there is to produce X amount of content. Now, if producing X amount of content means you're going to need a couple of people to help you, then start with those people. Is that have I read? Have I understood that correctly? Yeah, you need that initial investment. You need to you need to determine what your initial investment is. You need to also determine where you need, the end goal is in terms of how much audience you want to, how much traffic, or you know whatever the end goal is you want to reach. So that way, you have the right people in place in the beginning, and also have the end goal in mind. Great. And so, I mean, I'm keen to delve into to some specifics around audience growth. Sure. You know, obviously we're here on a podcast, you know, if someone else is, and you know, it's podcasting is like the new blogging, right? Every, you know, everyone can do it because it, there isn't a huge barrier. Not everyone can do it well. That's a different, that's a different part. And I hope I do an all right job at it. But okay, let's just talk about podcasting. What kind of tips and tricks and strategies and processes should I be looking at to grow the audience of the Fractal podcast? Definitely. So for every new podcast, you want to find out 
where your audience is listening to other podcasts. So it's definitely worth having a look at your, let's say your competitors or other people who are publishing specific podcasts around your topic. Have a look at where their audiences are and try to reach out to them and try to develop that. I think a lot of initial work is going to be that cold outreach, just letting people know yep. your podcast and, and really looking at your micro influencers. And because it's not about influencers anymore, and there's, there's a whole nother topic about that, but have a look at the people, the micro influencers that are connected with various people in an industry, reach out to them and then really let them know about your podcast, even get them on board and invite them onto your podcast and just have that unique proposition to encourage them on your podcast so that when it goes out, then it will make an impact. And the other thing as well is that when you're going to start doing a podcast, you need to record a lot of podcasts in advance so that when you are ready to launch your podcast, you can just go hard out. Because what, what I've noticed as well without my podcast is I first trialed it to do once a month or once every fortnight, and that's not consistent enough. And when I've started doing a weekly podcast series, I've seen that incremental growth of your subscriber base and your listener reach base. And now that I'm using Omni as well, it's helped me track that better. And I can see that progression because I've been doing it more consistently. And the final thing I wanted to just say is look at alliances. Look at, you know, obviously reaching out is important, but if there's other podcasts that are sort of tangential to what you're doing, but you guys have an overlap, then try to partner with each other and try to do shout outs to each other, link to each other's websites. It's not, it's not a bad thing. I think there's a misconception that reciprocal linking is bad, but if, if it's about strategic partnerships and it's relevant, then that's not bad. Yeah, I think of guesting on podcasts as much like you know the link and the guest posting of days gone by and blogging. So it's the same kind of thing. It's just done in a you know an audio sense rather than maybe written. Correct. But I wanted to sorry you mentioned it all there. Was it Omni? What, what's what's Omni and, and what does it do for you? Omni is the podcast player that I have embedded on my for my podcast episodes, and it's it's just got more enriched analytics around looking at how many. What's your potential reach? What's the number of subscribers to your podcast episode? And it just gives you analytics on each podcast episode and the, the, the lifetime value of your downloads as well. So if that's something that one day you want to, if you're one day ready and you're seeing that you're getting about 10,000 downloads per episode, for example, which, which is what I've seen the benchmark in, in getting advertised sponsorship for your podcast, then you can use that data to just present to as potential sponsors. So, so Omni actually... Omni hosts your MP3 file and then it, and it shares that then out to Stitcher and Spotify and Apple and then it aggregates that information. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And so interesting there. So you, you can then use something like Omni if, if your desire was to, you know, get sponsorship, then something like a third party tool like Omni is you're able to, I guess, reference that as, as a source of how many people are actually listening to your episode. Correct. And it's much more easier. It's a way to just save your time from maybe people are going and uploading those individual episodes on those channels separately. You could just go and do it from one central place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in terms of promotion of podcasts or blogs or any kind of content you've got out there, what's your feeling on paid promotion? Because obviously content doesn't necessarily have a direct ROI. Like if someone listens to your podcast or they read a blog article or whatever it is, you're not, you're not necessarily getting money back. So What's your feeling on paid promotion to get through that inertia and build up an audience? I've seen it particularly for publishers. It's an, it's a critical component of their audience growth. So they do like a burst promotions on really evergreen or important topic that it might resonate with their audience. So it's a sugar hits. And then after that, they just try to weave everything together like through the other tactics that are, or strategies that I mentioned to you to, to really solidify the audience or get them to subscribe to a newsletter. And, and that, that way they can grow that loyalty. So I think it's pretty pretty important in the early stages to rely on social advertising. 
Right. I like that. So, okay. So just to recap, what we're looking at here is don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money to build up an initial audience, get that permission to market to them, be in the email address or whatever it happens to be, own that audience. And then you can start leveraging that audience again and again to build deeper relationships and then grow from that point. Yep. Correct. Okay. Love it. That sounds like a, that, that's, that's nice. That's concise. That makes a lot of sense. You made it a lot of concise. It just shows how great of a podcaster you are, Gerard. So thank you. <laughs> I think it's more just it shows that I've got a simple brain. So if I don't get it simple, I'm not going to follow it. So let, let's go from simple. Let's move from simple into stuff that's a little bit more out there. What are some of the innovative things you're seeing like the serious publishers in the digital space do at the moment that we're probably not aware of? Well, the first thing is about content automation. This, is, this has been in experimentation for about four or five years now, but, and it really started with Washington Post with creating their own AI solution for this. But we're seeing more commonly across the board that publishers are using data sets and having a vocabulary database where when they want to, because like there's common news that is very repetitive, such as sports news or weather, they actually have created the processes to be able to automate the, the content from that. And as a result, that's actually lifted bandwidth to get their journalists to really talk about, uh, focus on topic beats and really focus on audience engagement. So a lot of journalists and publishers now are really taking on that role on really connecting with the audience where traditionally, particularly because this came from the mindset of the print publishing era where you're automatically the, the voice and people are going to come to you. That doesn't work like that in the web now. So. Okay, that's interesting. So I think weather's a good one to understand, right? So I'm sort of imagining the weatherman or the weather lady, who, weather person, who's on the news at night. And and it's kind of a bit of a joke because yes, they're almost all they've got, they've all got degrees. But in the end, when you look at the maps, you can almost, there's only like 10 different phrases they use. So, you know, they'll stand there and they'll say things like, and later in the day, you can see a cold pressure front moving in from the West, which should reduce temperatures and maybe introduce a chance of rain right late into the evening. And then if you break that apart, what you're saying is actually, if the data says there's a low pressure front, if the data says the temperature is going to drop, if the data says there's going to be rain, if the data says it's moving in from the West, all the joining could be done by AI and actually we don't need a human. So, so what you're saying here is with things like the Washington Post, they've got to a stage, and I'd love to think about how they do it with sports, but essentially what they're saying is if one team was in front and the other team came from behind the second half, there's a set range of phrases that you need. If you load that in, the AI can basically do sports reporting for you without actually having to have watched the game or even be a real person. That's right. I'm loving the idea of that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling for the people who you start to realize... Maybe that's why ex-football players are good sports people because actually, or you know, it doesn't require. Oh, I've got to be careful how I say this. Okay, but it doesn't require a huge amount of intelligence just to recap what happened. The intelligence is in the interpretation and maybe the really deep analysis, and that's what you're saying. If you've got someone who's an absolute guru for, you know, rugby or football or whatever it is, commentary. Yeah, they write the in-depth article, but when you're looking at the the 50-word summary of a game that was played last night. Actually, you can just feed that into an AI machine and if the sub-editor passes it, then it's going to be done. Well, I think there's an underlying challenge around and the reason why that's come up as well. It's because, you know, most of us now have at least almost 10 subscriptions, whether it might be content or it might be Netflix. And eventually there's going to be some sort of content fatigue. So what? how are they going to differentiate themselves? It has to be from the people who are actually writing the stories. It's, it's creating that engagement, it's that connection, right? So they have to be smart in how they do things. So it's not really... I know I understand where you're coming from in terms of trying to make it easier, but we have to look at the bigger picture as well. 
Right. So there's an interesting conundrum here, which is, yes, okay, you're automating it. Yes, it's probably as good as it would have been. But at the core level, why are you producing this content? If it can be produced by a robot, are you really adding any value or not? Or are you just simply producing it because the expectation is that you're going to write 50 words on the rugby game from last night? And if that doesn't really add any value, why bother spending time on it? And maybe you need to think about what you're actually spending time publishing. Yeah. And like, you know, exactly. And like, for example, like more of like the short form stories, like there's Google has released Google stories, there's Facebook stories, Instagram stories. Why don't, why don't those ex-football players just do short snap stories and provide that sort of show them that behind the scenes or the emotions behind them watching the game and relate it to back to their, back to their day of playing, for example. That's more valuable and, and interesting for people who are diehard fans of them than getting them to just reproduce the score recaps, you know? Yeah, I can see, I can see exactly where it's at. So how do we tie this together? We've got this trend where you've got big companies, big publishing organizations that are learning how to use AI and technology to produce standard content quite quickly, quite cheaply, so they can focus on the big picture. So what's our lesson here as, as a startup founder is, you know, regurgitating out very simple content that can be easily replicated, possibly even copied, you know, why bother? Don't spend your time doing that. Go deep, go sophisticated, do something that can't be automated. And you're going to have more value in the long term. Is that is that our lesson here for for all of the sort of want to be and the self publishers who are listening? Yes, but with that automation, that's a that's a bigger investment and that's that's very time consuming. So I'll just like to maybe broaden that advice and say look at technologies and find ways you can reduce the time of doing mundane tasks and really focus on providing the value. So for more of the founders, what I'll suggest is rather than you trying to be an expert writer and figure out how to write the content perfectly weaving words actually go and do your research write down some key points and then use voice recording because even voice transcriptions and so when you provide a voice recording to a transcription service or solution the accuracy of that wording is actually a lot more out there so when you're going to write a blog post just lay out the information as it was like a blog post so put your introduction key points and then speak to that when you're recording and then produce that article and then all you have to spend time is just doing the light edits or get your editor to do the light edits and get that published so my key advice is find smarter ways to use tech use technology to find smarter ways of reducing your time to produce content so you can get more in front of your audience uh, more frequently okay and what you've got there so what you touched on there is the idea that yeah, i've got an idea i've got a few points i do a voice recording but then that gets sent to someone who's like a ghostwriter who represents my tone of voice and that's part of that you can, publishing team we mentioned at the start. You can send it to a ghostwriter, but if you look at other, how other blogs write it and you format your speech and your the way you speak to that format, it's going to pick up the same format. So all that editor needs to do is really just look at the grammatical stuff and just really poly, do the proofreading. So you can really become a publisher just by understanding how the content format works and, and just try to phrase your speech and practice to do it that way as opposed to just trying to come up with something like trying to reinvent the wheel with, with your writing. So you don't have to best be, be a very, you don't have to be an awesome writer. You just have to be a good presenter of the idea. Yeah, I think I think that's me. I think I've got great ideas because <laughs> I'm you know, self-diagnosed, I've got great ideas, but can I put them down in, in well-structured sentences? Not really, and, and a long career of English teachers and lecturers will point to the fact that my written word is horrendous. So I think that's advice I should definitely be taking. Hence the reason why I do a podcast rather than long-form blog posts. 
I'm sure a lot of founders are the same and they're a lot more time poor as well. So I think another way to get around that is to do voice recordings. And that's a lot more like imagine if the reading time is 15 minutes, you spend 15 minutes just doing a voice recording. Then you can just outsource your, to your team the proofreading and editing. And maybe in, in, in a few days, you can get a blog post for your website. Yeah, I love that. And that ties up beautifully with the idea of you know a team and investing and, and knowing where you want to get to and understanding how much you need to produce to get to that point and yep. putting that team around you. Exactly. So I've got one last question for you. And I always like to do like a, a more difficult question towards the end to see if I can catch people off guard. But I'd like to know something that you used to think is was true. And then over the last few years of work, you've discovered actually isn't true anymore. So this is something where you were like, oh, I used to believe in this kind of marketing or this type of SEO or this type of strategy. And in the last couple of years, I've learned actually that's not true at all. And I'm wondering if you're, if you're willing to share that with people who are listening now. Absolutely. My guess, it's, t- it's taking me longer to really get in touch with my audience because I did have preconceived way of thinking of reaching out to them and sort of get them on board with some of the ideas and just getting them on board and subscribing to strategy publishing. So it, it takes a lot more work than it, it looks like. It's not, people really have that misconception that if you produce content, people will come. It's not really the case. And even though, I'm, you know, my background has been SEO and all, all that, like until you run a publishing business yourself, you really underestimate how much effort it takes to really connect with people, get your content in front of people to really give them the value and, and, and really understand what value you can provide to them to make it, to get them coming back again and again. I think that's something that anyone who's done self-publishing will be listening to this and saying to themselves, yeah, that's something I definitely thought as well. If I just, if I just do this, lots of people are going to come and they're going to love it. And then you discover actually it's really hard to buy people's attention with content and, and or even buy, but earn it. Exactly. And maybe you have a misconception of your authority or your cloud as well. You might think that, you know, cause there's a few people around you who've, Maybe and and they're not in the industry. They say, "Wow, that's a really interesting topic." And then he's like, "Okay, well, I can potentially do that for people in actually in the industry." But you might find out that people already know that. So that's why I had to when I identified the topics that I had to focus on. It was very very niche specific because like SEO for publishers is, is a very different game than for businesses. So it's great. Now, for hey, I know you've got your own podcast. So if people have enjoyed what you've been saying, and they want to sort of learn more and hear more of your advice. What's the name of the podcast and, and where can they find it? Absolutely. So stateofdudepublishing.com, it's both the publication that I run and it's and then the namesake is the same thing. Stateofdudepublishing.com for such podcast and the current season that we're running is really presenting MarTech vendors who offer solutions to publishers and some of the trends and overarching state of plays that they're seeing at the moment. So for example, there was someone, Colm Dolan from Publift, who I interviewed around how to increase advertiser revenue, and he focused, he's got a tech platform that helps with programmatic advertising. So just really speaking with them, because they are actually working with a lot of publishers and they have a lot of insights. So in short, that's stateofdepublishing.com forward slash podcasts. Great. And I'll put that in the show notes, along with your referenced framework before that came from Claire Austin. So we'll put both of those into the show notes. So if you're driving or running or walking and listening to this and you think I'm never going to remember state of digital publishing or Claire's details, I will put them in the show notes and hopefully on your device, you can click and go through to them. But hey, thank you so much for spending the time educating me, educating everyone on and being so honest with it. I've really appreciated it. I hope you've enjoyed it and look forward to tuning into your podcast really soon as well. Thank you, Gerard. I really appreciate you bringing me on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear on a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.